financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn. He also writes for The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. Uh, it has been an eventful summer week uh, when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, there obviously uh, are preseason questions. Deion Dawkins returning uh, from the COVID list and speaking to reporters. Uh, we talked uh, pretty extensively about Deion Dawkins uh, in our previous podcast. Uh, he hadn't spoken to the media yet. And uh, so I guess let's quickly address that because we were wondering how he was going to do what he should say um, there. What was he going to admit to? What was he going to dodge? And to his credit, he didn't dodge anything. And he seemed to speak in very frank terms. You know what? I'm sorry. I think he dodged your question, Matthew, regarding Cole Beasley. Uh, he, Cole Beasley's not downplaying it. He's only ridiculing people who get the vaccine. I think that's a form of downplaying. Well, Cole uh, but Beasley anyway, also my, the crux of that for me, it was Cole Beasley saying to somebody on Twitter, asking if they had counted and figured out the cause of death on all 600,000, basically implying a conspiracy theory that other deaths were being counted as COVID deaths. To me, that is downplaying COVID period. Not getting the vaccine is also downplaying COVID because he's saying I'm tough enough and strong enough to handle it on my own. That was my, that was a bad question though. That was, I should not have even used that word because it triggered him and distracted him from my actual question, which was, have you talked to Cole Beasley, you know, because he's been, you know, and what those conversations have been like, I should have just stopped it there. He knows why I was asking about Cole. I didn't need to. Sometimes I have verbal diarrhea when I'm asking questions and I include a trigger word. And, um, the, well, what was uh, the trigger word though? Cause I wonder if Cole Beasley downplaying, was the word. Oh, downplaying was the trigger word because Dion hung on that and answered the whole question about whether Cole was downplaying as it asked him what he thinks of Cole Beasley downplaying. And he wasn't even going to entertain the other part of it because uh, so that was my fault. I don't even blame Dion for that. I disagree with him on the premise that um, Cole Beasley's not downplaying the virus. However, I thought I walked away from the press conference pretty happy with that answer because it gave, I think, a glimpse into what one of the leaders on the team, how quickly he was a, a guy who just spent four days in the hospital how quick he was to jump to the defense of a guy that a lot of people have wondered, will he be a guy that can splinter this locker room apart? My sense from talking to players all along has been that he won't, but that was probably the strongest confirmation that these guys have his back. Even the guy who was in the hospital for four days with this virus has the back of Cole Beasley. So no, I don't think he's going to be 
much of a problem unless he causes some sort of outbreak and, you know, cost them games. Yeah. I think that's the athlete's mentality. Uh, it's uh, we have to have each other's back uh, or else we'll lose. Uh, it's uh, there's a loyalty there that I think is, is ingrained in athletics, especially with guys who played together for more than uh, a, a couple of months, you know, it's uh, they, they're brothers and they don't take that lightly, but uh, I didn't want to get hung up specifically on Cole Beasley's aspect of that. Uh, I was just kind of using that. I was, I needed to um, w- walk back my, my thumbs up uh, for my, my complete and enthusiastic thumbs up for Deion Dawkins and his news conference. But in general, uh, I think hitter. it was he really impressive. A perfect game. Yeah. But he, uh, he let a couple guys get on base. There. He hit a batter yeah. <laughs> and uh, lost his perfect game. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I, it was uh, refreshing to see. I, I liked, I liked what Deion Dawkins had to say. I loved it. I went into that wondering if it was going to have to be a little bit of a combative, you know, situation where we were prying stuff out of him. I, I thought it was all we've heard from at this point is the only outspoken bills players other than Jerry Hughes, who, you know, spoke out on Twitter in favor of the vaccine other than him, all you hear from is Cole Beasley on Twitter, the Josh Allen podcast comments, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, John Feliciano. It gives this impression that this is a team that is together in its anti-vax sentiment or vaccine hesitant sentiment in some cases. Conspiracy theory sentiment. Right. And Jonah has, you know, Jonah has brought up and, you know, others have wondered like whether, you know, this is the message, you know, where the message is coming from, right? You know, is this a PR thing? Is it a Sean thing? Is it a, is it a locker room thing? What have you? But, you know, Dion Dawkins showed a little bit of um, agency, uh, you know, took ownership of what happened to him and his story and shared it. And I think that was refreshing, not just in the context of the football team, but also the public. I mean, like we talked about earlier in the week, you can point to Deion Dawkins and easily and see that he is in a high risk category, despite the fact that he's a professional athlete. He's as as in shape as a 330 pound man can be, but he is still 330 pounds. And I think the fact that he was pretty open about everything he went through. He was open and specific about his vaccination status, which I thought was the important piece of context. And it didn't shed him in a perfect light, right? He was on his way to getting vaccinated, but wasn't quite fully vaccinated and had had some events, uh, public events, unmasked. um, But yet he just shared it and said, this is where I was. Thank God I was this far in because who knows what would have happened. If I didn't have the vaccine and I thought it was a a pretty powerful 15 minutes or so. He was a complete open book um, other than when I derailed the whole thing at the end. But, uh, you know, I, otherwise, you know, he was, he was great, very specific, the whole, you know, private health matters, all this, he recognized that this was bigger than that and that somebody out there listening might need to hear it. um, And they're going to listen it's going to hit them a little bit different coming from their one of their favorite football players than it is from 
the you know nameless, faceless politician telling them to get the shot. So uh, I think all of that was great. And Dion you know, could it, have he could have gone a step further and told people to get the shot. He didn't do yeah, it. He, he didn't did say do your research, but make up your own mind, which is diplomatic. I mean, that's not dumb. I mean, it's not reckless. He did. He it sounded like. And then he said, and I got the shot. So you can at least say where he falls on it. Uh, but it would have, it would have, it would have given me a little bit better of a, of an impression had he actually said, look, if it can happen to me, I'm in shape. Uh, you know, I eat right. I'm exercising. I'm doing, I got, I even did what I was doing everything right. And I still almost died or at least feared at some point that I was going to die. Get your shots. Um, would have resonated uh, quite a bit. Certainly could have been stronger, but but again, I think we're nitpicking because in he's general, not a public health official either. He's given us his honest thoughts about it, and I'd be more curious. And this maybe isn't relevant to the football season, but more curious why he was hesitant before whatever that date in June was when he decided to get vaccinated and what changed his mind, and if there have been discussions among in that locker room or among the players where players have gone from being hesitant to not hesitant and why um well, or it could Dion, just be as simple as the protocol some people could have just said you know i got to do it now he mentioned i know he mentioned there was a uh, his son or a yeah baby. his yeah. son that was born yeah. premature but he well, still waited he, until that son was receiving that news that was the thing that the question was asked you know why did you wait and what changed your mind and he jumped right to the second part um and glazed over the first part which you're right he was that's why he had a premature questions he his had a premature, premature son for six months and didn't get vaccinated yeah his premature son was born in february and so i got my first dose i think in march sometime or april end of march early april was when i was eligible he was probably eligible earlier as you know not to be flippant, but because he's 300 something pounds, I think he was actually eligible earlier in, at least in New York state. Um, and I'm not sure there might've been some. Uh, um, so he wasn't first conditions. If you're, if you have uh, someone in your home who is, who is vulnerable, I don't yeah. know. Was, was that a thing at the time that you could get a in shot? Other states if, it, in other states it was, it was not. Yeah, in it would New depend on. Yeah. Because I was, trying to, my wife was pregnant at the time. And I thought that might, in Tennessee, that qualified you. Um, and here it did not. So, but even by what, it was April, mid-April, everybody could get it. By the time they were at mini camp, everybody could get it. So if he had had his, you know, he had waited essentially, it sounds like till late June, early July to, to do it. So yeah, he could have, he certainly could have done it a lot a lot sooner um and but but he did do it and i think lost in unless he's got the dates mixed up lost in some of the talk that oh he was not yet fully vaccinated was that he was pretty well vaccinated i believe it was sometime after his second shot so he was partially vaccinated and close to not fully vaccinated but well vaccinated however you want to put that or they would put that a few and days away from a lot two about, week window well, what, what, where I'm going is that it says a lot about the current state of the pandemic and the variant of the virus that's circulating and whether vaccinated people are protected and how much additional layers of protection people and football teams and football leagues uh, need to put in place 
during this season, or is this going to continue to happen? Because if Deion Dawkins caught uh, coronavirus in midseason and went through this ordeal in November, uh, not to be flipping about his health, but that would be uh, very disadvantageous to the Buffalo Bills. And he would have been already vaccinated. This, this still could happen to conceivably any player in the NFL. Yeah, he probably had, you know, it sounds like he was less than a week away from having completed that two-week window or, you know, at the very least was sometime within that two-week window, which, you know, they've said what the percentages are as you get closer to being fully vaccinated. So, yeah, you're right. If that happened in in November, he's probably, I mean, he's potentially missing a playoff game at that point because he's in the hospital. He took him a long time to even get back in the building, back on the practice field. He is going to play on Saturday against the Bears, but um, you know, we'll see how he looks and we'll see how, how this impacts him long-term, but yeah, it would, and that conceivably could happen to what anybody, really anybody on the roster, any of us, it obviously could, um, you know, we just don't, don't know it's impacting everybody differently, but I would say anybody on the roster that's high risk in any way, um, anybody on either, either line, offensive or defensive line, probably with the exception of you know, guys like Jerry Hughes and AJ, some of the smaller guys on the defensive line. Anybody who has asthma. Anybody oh. who has asthma. Anybody or... who has diabetes. Some of that is still an exact science. It could come down to a lot of different factors that we don't really know yet. And it does seem overall that the vaccines protect against the worst outcomes, but we haven't figured out why some people are getting sick after being vaccinated uh, recently. They're starting to make some conclusions there, but I, I haven't seen anything that's told me why, uh, you know, all these breakthrough cases are rising and becoming more prevalent in all different populations right now. It's still quite random uh, in many ways. Uh, we're, we are still guessing and um, which I think makes it all the more imperative to do whatever you can rather than to be, than to dismiss any type of remedy or precaution. Um, Let's, let's talk about uh, Saturday's game. Uh, Deion Dawkins is going to play. Uh, the game is at Chicago Saturday at 1 o'clock. Um, a lot of the starters are not going to play. That would include Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and a host of others. Um, your thoughts, so without getting into matchups necessarily, your thoughts on two games into the preseason, only one to go. And Josh Allen hasn't taken a snap against a live opponent. And may not a good move. I think, I think Sean McDermott is handling the preseason. Well, he's using it to evaluate players that need to be evaluated. And I don't think Josh Allen needs to be evaluated anymore. Um, clearly they gave him a contract worth $258 million. And when you do that, you better have that guy for week one. Um, even if he's a little rusty because he didn't play in the preseason, you better have him and you can't afford to run him out there and have him get hurt. I, you know, you ask Sean McDermott or anybody and they're going to give you, well, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I'm not going to get into all of it, but clearly Deion Dawkins and his health is impacting this. You're probably not sending Josh Allen out there no matter what, but you're definitely not sending him out there without his, starting left tackle in peak form. And that I think makes all of it makes sense. You don't, they did fine without a preseason last year and they've looked 
pretty sharp in training camp on the whole most days. Use the preseason to give yourself a look at guys that need to be looked at. And it probably tells us something, right? Harrison Phillips got extended run last week. They're getting a look at Harrison Phillips to see, you know, they gave Ed Oliver, you know, 10 snaps or so. They want it, they they want a little bit more out of him. They want him to be ready and 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 going. It's the guys that they've been around that they don't need to see. And I think they probably all took a little bit of a lesson last year from the preseason, realizing it's not, you know, this thing that's going to help them tune up necessarily, but it could have some drastic consequences the other way if somebody gets hurt. I don't know what more needs to be said, really. I think that's a good synopsis of, of how the Bills are thinking. I don't disagree with it either. Um, maybe Josh Allen gets a series or two or, you know, in the, in the finale. I, I don't know. Uh, but, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, the Bills have uh, many more pressing needs. Uh, and you want to get, if you know, you're paying Mitchell Trubisky – uh, to be ready to go and to not be a huge drop-off. I think getting your backup quarterback as many reps as he can now because who knows when he's going to get them again. Once the regular season begins, you know, historically, the starter gets 99% of the reps in practice. So let's let Mitchell Trubisky get as much time with this offense as he can because if something does happen with Josh Allen, you don't want the drop-off to be so precipitous as – uh, a guy who's in his first year with this offensive coordinator and with this offense. So uh, I think from a practical standpoint, uh, Mitchell Trubisky getting as many reps as possible is, is healthy. Um, I, well, it just popped into my head. I was about to go to our, our um, uh, to talk about the stadium uh, in the latest there and, and uh, which will probably, uh, you know, be a, be an interesting discussion. Uh, but what do we think about the third quarterback? What do we think is going to happen behind Mitchell Trubisky um, between uh, Fromm and Webb? The Bills love Davis Webb. We don't really get to see much of Jake Fromm, but of course, because he was isolated from the team last year, he was a draft pick. There is, There has been time invested in him. Um, Davis Webb seems to be a pretty valuable component of this team from beyond just his ability to, to be an emergency quarterback. But, but what, what do we think is going to happen there? It's tough. Uh, are, they, are they even keeping three quarterbacks? That's part of the question, right? Do yeah, that's part of it. Three? I mean, you, but can you – I mean, so does, you get at least one of these guys in the practice squad, if not. Right. Does J- Why would you have both? You probably don't – right. You, you probably don't need to worry about Jake Fromm being signed away. Uh, he, can, he can get on your practice squad. But Davis Webb has been building a little bit of a reputation around the NFL. Some team might think it's worth bringing him in. If he's a good tutor, yeah, if he's a good, uh, if he's a, one of those coaches on the field type things. I think you'd prefer your third quarterback to be on the practice squad if you're the Bills, ideally, because, you know, you don't have to waste the roster spot. And they have some tough numbers games um, at wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, cornerback. So that's been my question all along. Do they are do either of these guys do anything that makes them worth keeping? Now, I don't think that the Bills are, you know, you do this type of thing on Madden or whatever, and you'd say, well, cut them both, and if one of them gets claimed, great. The other one will go on the practice squad. I don't think that's how the Bills operate. I think they're going to – 
if they think one of these guys is clearly better to have around than the other, they're going to really find a way to keep them. And they've been pumping Davis Webb's tires publicly quite a bit. They've, right. Uh, if you are – all right, the Bills are the class. They're the team to beat in the AFC East. If you are another team in the AFC East and you have the ability to bring in a guy who has been – by the Bills' own admission, so integral in their preparations, behind the scenes, on the field, you know, glowing about how this guy, he's, he's been coaching practically. Um, wouldn't Bill Belichick want to bring that guy in as his third quarterback for a couple of weeks, whatever it is, maybe the Jets, maybe the – I mean, who knows? I'm just saying. If uh, the, there have been lesser players than that picked up just to bring them in for the sake of – Teach us something. Uh, be, you can be a part of be a part of our team and uh, and tell us what's going on in Orchard Park. You can go out for the coin toss. That's that's what Rex Ryan exactly. would do. What's interesting about Davis Webb is he was a third round pick and he's never thrown a pass. Like at first, it, I always thought, well, Jake Fromm probably has a better chance to get claimed because he's a recent thing. He's a recent fifth round pick. He's a recent commodity coming out of college. But now that I think more as time has passed, you know, the shine wears off. He's not a rookie fifth round pick. He's just a former fifth round pick. He's also had everything that happened with his text messages getting released. And, you know, the, the stink that that put on him, you know, for a little while and probably to some extent in some circles around the league still has, he also hasn't done much to make anybody think he's, some sort of superstar in the making. Whereas Davis Webb now is getting this public, you know, glowing report from everybody really in the Bills organization. He looked good last week. Uh, as, far, as far as the two quarterbacks go, he looked better and played earlier in the game. And if you want to go to pedigree, like, yeah, he's not as recent a draft pick, but he was a third round pick. He's been around. Um, he, he is a valuable member of the quarterback room. And while I don't think anybody in there would tell you Jake Fromm is a bad guy to have in the room, he's not Davis Webb. And so yeah, he, they might have a hard time sneaking him through. And I don't think it's crazy to to convince yourself that you can develop him into a backup quarterback because Mitch Trubisky is only on a one-year deal. So if you feel like either from or Webb is a long-term backup quarterback, maybe you do owe it to yourself to keep him if, and, and make sure you have an answer if Trubisky goes elsewhere. If they keep Davis Webb, I think the conversation immediately turns to trading Trubisky. That now Davis Webb is the backup, and you don't need three of these guys, and he's the one that you move. I, I not, whether they go that route or not, if they kept three quarterbacks, one of them I think is at least on the trade block. Well, I made a joke last week while watching the game that get ready for all these takes that we don't need Mitchell Trubisky anymore sure. because Davis Webb looked pretty good. And you're like, well, fine. Well, I, I, I the fan appetite was, um, was uh, hell. Let's uh, let's let Davis Webb, uh, you know, get some get some snaps uh, during the regular season. Yeah. We're all, we're all okay with it. I don't know what the market would be for Trubisky. I mean, the Colts look like they're probably going to get Carson Wentz back. They didn't desperately make a trade in the moment. Who else is going to want Trubisky? 
I don't mm-hmm. know, but I'm nobody wanted him in McCarron free agency. And Matt Castle that in the past the Bills have been able to get extract some value out of some team that needs a quarterback in this type of situation. There'll be an injury. There'll be, however, maybe not serious, but there'll be concerns between now and the start of the regular season. We still have what three weeks. Um, it, something will happen. What What is more valuable, a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick or a contingency plan that has a lot more NFL? Like I said, Davis Webb has never thrown a regular season NFL pass, even if they decide to keep him, keeping him as your last line of defense against the Super Bowl. Now, I've, I see both sides of the backup quarterback argument. A lot of people say, man, nobody around the league takes the backup quarterback position seriously enough, and it, it costs a lot of teams. But on the flip side, I always think, man, if your starting quarterback gets hurt in this league for any extended period of time, you're kind of screwed. Now, Nick Foles is the counterpoint, right? You know, Carson Wentz got hurt. He steps in. Maybe Trubisky has a little Foles magic in him. I don't know. But um, they, the Bills seem to be taking the stance that they don't want to trade this guy. They'd rather, you know, have the, they've signed him so that they would have a good backup, a better backup quarterback situation than most teams in the league. But saying you don't want to trade him is exactly what you would say, you know, or, you know, giving off that belief is exactly what you would do if, He wanted to drive the price up and get something for him. Now, if he signs elsewhere for a decent contract, you could also get a compensatory pick. So it's not as if you're punting on the idea of getting anything for Trubisky by keeping him for the year. Um, So keeping him is probably the move. That's why you signed him. In case Allen has to miss three games, you've got a guy that's played and won games and, uh, you know, could probably keep things afloat along with Brian Dable and the, you know, bevy of offensive talent around these quarterbacks but yeah I, I've all along thought they don't need to keep one of these third quarterbacks unless one of them really looks like a potential long-term backup and in that case you know you find a way to keep them on the practice squad or or one way because Davis Webb's not that old but he's already talking like he's got one foot in coaching like he's he you know he talks more about wanting to be a a head ball coach than he does a starting quarterback. You know, that a lot of people haven't noticed, but when he's out there on the field, there's that he actually has a whistle around his neck. Not true. I just made that up, but um, I was I can't believe we spent that much time talking about more of the practice squad quarterback. Are they still going to do the quarantine? That's quarterback? our brand. They will not. They don't have plans to do that right now. No quarantine quarterback. Um, Let's talk about uh, what we've learned in the past week regarding the Bills uh, stadium campaign. Uh, Jim Wilkinson, the outside spokesman who was hired to oversee this public relations campaign, uh, has been making the rounds with, uh, I I haven't seen Channel 2 do anything with him, but Channels 4 and 7. He was on WBEN radio this morning. Um, The Associated Press. The Buffalo News, uh, in which there was a tour of the stadium uh, while crews were getting ready for the Billy Joel concert to show all the different ways that uh, in the Pagula's minds, it would be wasteful to sink uh, more money into Highmark Stadium. Um, Some interesting comments, some veiled threats. Um, I guess my personal view of the past week is that, you know, 
again, it should be noted that Jim Wilkinson is not an employee of Pagula Sports and Entertainment. He is contracted to handle this. Uh, he is, um, uh, you know, he's on retainer, I guess, uh, to help uh, further their um, their interests. Uh, I keep hearing missteps. I keep, I'm not, maybe because so much of it is droning uh, and things that I knew already, but I keep hearing these veiled threats and I, and I see the response on social media, at least, uh, from fans who I think that this is mostly due to how the Pagulas have run the Sabres uh, and things like the layoffs uh, right after COVID began. Um, my story about PSE and its toxic culture from before the pandemic in which the Pagulas told their employees that one of the key components of the business is maintaining the family lifestyle, um, that there are uh, people out there who are just looking for reasons to dislike the Pagulas. Whether that's fair or not, I think that's the mood. I think that Jim Wilkinson and PSE, to a larger regard, have failed to read the room. Uh, and by saying in every interview that public officials need to determine whether or not they have an interest in keeping the Bills really does not wear well uh, with, with Bills fans. Bills fans, or I should say Western New York sports fans, uh, don't hear that and say, you know what? Right. Let's get behind this. Let's, let's build this stadium. Um, let's help the Pagulas out. I think what they hear is uh, a message from someone and speaking for the Pagulas, Terry Pagula, who famously said he would drill another oil well, uh, who stood at, uh, within the, uh, the field house at that news conference when he was announced as the Bills owner and said, Western New York, you're, you're getting to keep the Bills for generations to come. Well, we haven't even gotten through, what, 10 years? And now we have somebody from the outside coming in and telling Western New Yorkers, hey, you're going to have to figure out whether you want this team or not. Um, I, this is just me talking. I'll open it up to you guys. But I hear these things and I think, man, this is not the way to play this. You're, you're not playing your hand right. And I know, and I'm going to say this, and I've said it in things that I've written, and I've said it here on this podcast. I think it's unfair how the story got away from the Pagulas to begin with. The initial story that ran in the Buffalo News was, I think, misleading and lopsided and not very well sourced. And then the further coverage of that in the week following from the Buffalo News itself, doubling and tripling down by just interviewing politician after politician about how audacious it was that the Pagulas wanted 100% taxpayer funding. The narrative has been set. And I, I, I understand the Pagula's desire to counterpunch, to take hold of the narrative, to try to get the government essentially on the defensive, back on its heels. I think that they need to show a lot more um, nuance in this. Uh, and I think that they needed to slow play because it's going to take a long time to turn around this, this mood and I think they would have done better to educate rather than threaten and to be a little more patient 
with trying to turn this narrative around in their favor. I think that they've already shot themselves in the foot a couple of times. Well, they should have been out ahead of this story. They should have been one way or the other. The Pagulas should have been seeding the media with optimism and uh, excitement for what they had planned. And goodwill. Goodwill. But I mean, more, and maybe there's a way where it comes out, the Pagulas are willing to spend four, five, six hundred million dollars. You don't necessarily get in to the percentages and how much the taxpayers are paying. It's more the Pagulas want to invest in the community in this way here's the plan I, I don't know exactly how that plays out but it should have played out in a way where um ownership of the bills the people who want to build this stadium or who decided where the stadium will be built um control the narrative from the start they let it get away from them even if it was unfair or not and now every step along the way uh the public relations strategy has seemed to dig ownership and PSE into a bigger hole perception wise and there's nothing they can do right which is a consistent theme going back three four five years with just about anything the Pagulas have done with the Bill Sabres or many other of their properties and they really need to find a way through public relations but probably through you know doing something real now to get the public back on their side or it's going to be this type of backlash no matter what they do over and over again. What's your sense guys on just on that real quick I'm sorry to jump in there, Matthew, but regarding my opinion or my take, and I'm willing to dissect it. I think that's where, Matthew, we were just talking about this yesterday at practice. I think that's where this podcast actually excels, is that we can change each other's minds and we, we will t- we'll, we're going to hash it out. Um, it seems to me, um, we, we all run in different circles too. I mean, even though we are good friends and we, you know, we are in sports media, we do run in different circles. We live in different parts of, uh, of Western New York, the th- all three of us. Uh, we have different sets of friends. We go to different places. Um, the, my, my, my feeling that Western New Yorkers are just in such a state of frustration with the Pagulas that they are looking for reasons to be pissed off. They, they have gotten to a point where they love to hate the Pagulas. And yes, the Bills are doing great, but fans are able to look at that team and say it's because of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and the Pagulas take a backseat to that. Whereas when it comes to the Sabres, it's the Pagulas, the Pagulas, the Pagulas Um, it's, and with other business things in town. um, It seems to me is that you have to really be super, uh, maybe not flawless, but you need to be stellar in your ability to communicate with the fans or else they're going to, they're going to find a reason to hate you some more and they're going to enjoy it. Well, let's just, I mean, Ralph Wilson, Tom Galassano ownership hasn't always been a popular figure in Buffalo sports in Buffalo and Western New York to begin with. And, And the kind of love fest that the Pagulas enjoyed early on was really an anomaly. And maybe it was a moment in time, maybe that couldn't last, or maybe they squander that goodwill, that political capital that they had, and there's a way to get it back. I don't know. Yeah, it's, to me, a healthier, probably a healthier disposition to have than the reverse. If you're uh, a fan, you know, some people worship the altar of, of the Pagulas. Like, it's healthier to 
look at them with a bit of skepticism, right? You know, they don't have as much impact on the on-field product of the Bills as their most, you know, loyal supporters would want you to believe. And they probably don't have as much impact on the lousy product of the hockey team as much as their detractors want you to believe. The truth There's also is a belief the out there, an overriding belief that without the Pagulas, Buffalo would not have any sports teams. I mean, I see this constantly. Um, Which I just based, don't think it's true. I don't think so either. And I'll, I, maybe we can quibble about the bills, um, which is an unknown. Um, but the Sabres weren't even for sale when Terry Pagula approached Tom Galasano about buying them. Um, Tom Galasano wasn't selling them. They weren't going anywhere. And then Tom Galasano, even on top of it, when he did finally get, you know, when Terry Pagula went to him multiple times about, about purchasing the team, there was a clause in there about not moving them, et cetera, et cetera. So Terry Pagula doesn't, shouldn't get credit for saving the Sabres. Um, I think, I think people, whether even in the moment or, or all these years later, looking back on, on the, on how the team's been run um, the bills, we can maybe discuss that. I think they get oversized credit, but that was part of the charm and the allure of having ownership that came in and didn't just reassure the fan. They reassured the fans both implicitly and verbally. It was, they said, we're not, ever going to move this team. And that's part of the reason why we bought it. We bought it for you in a way was what uh, the message was. And I think they still feel that way, but somehow they there's now a disconnect. I think it has something to do with that. Terry and Kim don't speak directly to the public and the media as often as they did. I know there's been some gaffes and maybe missteps when that's happened. And maybe that's why they don't speak as often, but I think that people their popularity, their Q rating, if you will, was higher when they did were more visible and spoke to the fans more often. Yeah, I think that's part of, you know, people are seeing, uh, this is nothing against Jim Wilkinson, but they're seeing a guy that they have no idea who he is and he's new and he's showing up on their TV screens or they're seeing his name in stories and they're saying, who is this guy, you know, making these, sort of kind of threats you know where is this coming from if there was a message being delivered carefully crafted by kim by terry probably kim terry's not as comfortable with all that which is fine um certainly not comfortable addressing us in a group which i never blame anyone for because i'm not sure i'd be you know the most comfortable in that setting where you don't know what's coming at you from every direction but I think it's, it's pretty obvious that something has gone a little, something's a little off here in terms of their, the way that the PR has, you know, gone for the Pagulas. And it probably predates this story to what Joan is saying and, and to what Tim mentioned, like their public approval was kind of sliding off the tracks and it made this story all the more delicate. And to, I'm trying to figure out every, I mean, like you said, this, this guy was hired as a consultant to come in and run the, you know, the public relations on this, you know, issue. Well, so it's not that so, why don't they have a public relations department and people that already do this? Well, this guy specializes and the bills and the Sabres and anything else that they run. There's a lot of public relations and marketing talent 
already in the building. I know they ran off a lot of people, but there's still a lot of people that know this story as well as anybody they could bring in from the outside. I, he's done these types of things before, right? <laughs> I, I, I there's think government it's, stuff involved. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know. Tim might have a better answer as to why, but you know, they also just lost Chris Shefflin, uh, who was their stadium guy uh, for years, and he had all the connections with uh, with the different government uh, entities, particularly in Albany. I don't know. I mean, Chris Shefflin was never one to come out and speak, but maybe he could have handled that role. But I think really what it comes down to is uh, there have been so many PR blunders that so there's there's a lot of distrust um, between the media and PSE. The, you, you said at the beginning, you know, the Pagulas have lost, I forget what you said at the beginning, but that they've lost that goodwill from the fans, no matter what they do, they get criticized on Twitter, Bill's Twitter, Sabres Twitter, or whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's somebody else that has kind of turned them heel and that all this vitriol is being aimed at. There was always, you know, we got to get rid of Russ Brandon. We got to get rid of John Guy. This team's never going to go in the right direction unless Chuck Lester's fired. You know, there's a lot of times where Bill and Sabres fans blame the wrong person. Chuck Lester? And, and <laughs> yes, I think Chuck Lester. I think the, Chuck Pagoulas, Lester. the Pagoulas might be taking a lot of blame that they don't deserve because somebody in their own organization. No, 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 no. I think them. maybe in general that might be true uh, in, in business, but they, they know what's being done on their behalf. And if they don't, then shame on them. Well, true. Well, you know what I, I guess what my larger question was, you know, this guy's hired, right. To handle this thing. And he's presumably highly qualified to do so. I'm not going to assume otherwise. I mean, it's a major story. They, have a lot of net worth and can get the best. And, you know, so each word he says publicly on the record, to me, I'm wondering what's, what's he after? What's he trying to accomplish with this statement? Because I don't think any of it's just by accident. It's like, oops, didn't mean to say that. We're too I mean, early in the game for that. Things are too. A pretty one-sided debate too. Everything's about, I mean, we can't remodel the stadium. And who's out there saying, I know there's some undercurrent that that would be a cheaper alternative, but who's out there politically or really in the press saying that that's a better option? I haven't seen anybody really you, say that. Matthew, you might remember the quote better, but uh, because we were there together, we drove out there together two years ago to Jim Kelly's golf event. Roger Goodell was there. He was asked about a stadium. It was kind of out of the blue because two years, whatever it was, it wasn't a topic, you know, sometimes you know, but the guy asked about the stadium and Roger Goodell essentially said what this guy's been saying. Uh, I'm sure that the NFL is involved with this messaging in some way. What, was uh, it the stadium study that it was determined unfeasible that, you know, there's too much wrong. The building's too old, too out of date to put that much. Money. You're basically just knocking it down and rebuilding a new stadium on top of the old stadium anyways. And all you're leaving up is, you know, the field in between. He did. Roger Goodell did say at the Super Bowl this year, he mentioned renovation. So this might be a case of changing that tune. Am you know, I wrong he, to think when they did the last lease, they said this is the last renovation and the next we're now moving on to studying and 
you know, diverting funds toward building a new stadium. Wasn't that implied or at least? Well, I don't, I don't think so, Jonah. I, that could be based on my knowledge. No, but I mean, there's so many things that I've heard since that lease was done in terms of intent, how things were going to go, whether it be downtown, open air, all this other stuff. There was a point where I know that, you know, the bills were going around and looking at all the different stadiums, whether it be a brand new stadium or these retrofits like at Green Bay or in Chicago, um, in which there was a, a point where I was told Terry Pagula loves what they've done in Green Bay, um, that they love these things. Like, so, but then that's before the studies are officially done in terms of, you know, whether they're budgeted out. In, but in terms – he was enamored with the idea of the retrofit for, for oh, a period of time. Maybe that's who they're doing all this uh, PR blitz for. To, for the owner? Trying to, try yeah, to yeah. convince Terry that it can't be done. Uh, but I, that's like the question I ask myself is like, why are you saying certain things, right? To Jonah's point, why are you insisting that this stadium can't be renovated? Somebody is saying it can, evidently. Uh, or you're just really trying to drill home that as the baseline of this whole conversation that the stadium needs to happen, period, can't be renovated. And but, they should put so, out there that they don't want to renovate it because it could mean two years away from Orchard Park. And that would be, I think, the better line here. I don't think the line is, oh, this stadium, it, it sucks. Look, it's falling apart. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Retrofit it, build, you know, renovate it. It'll be cheaper. Nobody's arguing that it's not a palace. You know, nobody's arguing that it's like, you know, the, the best, nicest stadium in the league. Great. You know, I don't think PR wise, you know, pictures of cracking walls or whatever is really drilling home a point like, okay, so fix the wall. You know, how, how I, I think that's like, what the average person yeah. thinks. But if you say, look, if we renovate this thing, it's such an extensive renovation, forget cost. I don't think people are, are all that hung up on that. It's such an extensive renovation. We don't know where the hell we're going to play well, it happens because it'll take more than a year. Immediately, people will say, well, you can't do that. We're not playing in Toronto. We're not playing at Penn State. Like, this team's too damn good to spend a year away from yeah. Orchard Park. Like, you don't want to be the Toronto Blue. That would be, how much they that would be the strategy, 100%. But the other thing is, why do they keep saying, you know, the Pagulas want to keep this team in Buffalo, but, you know, it's going to take – a public-private partnership. It's going to take some people from the government, you know, being willing to sit down and have this conversation. We'll see if the if Buffalo and the NFL want, or Buffalo and and the state want a team. Those things, whether you look view them as threats or not, they are threats because they are presenting the possibility that they don't want a team, that the state doesn't want a team. And I don't think, to your point, Tim it's doing a very effective job of making anybody else the bad guy besides them. I think I could be wrong here. Like I said, this is a public relations professional we're dealing with, a, a guy who is not, who's choosing his words carefully. But to me, it seems like perhaps a miscalculation to think if I say this, people will then put the screws and turn the attention on the government people and, you know, really make them the bad guy if we leave. If, the Bills leave Buffalo. If that happens, the Pagulas are going to be the bad guy. There is no way around that. There may be some, some spare vitriol to throw at politicians because there's 
always plenty of that to go around. But the Pagulas aren't going to come off looking like sympathetic figures if they move this team somewhere else. It's impossible. So nobody remembers. Well, I they do. won't do it. They they just won't do it. No, nope, I do because I'm from there. But no, in the in the grand scheme of things, people don't remember the name of Cleveland's mayor uh, when the Browns left for Baltimore. They don't remember the any of the St. Louis politicians' names. They they know Stan Kroenke. They know Art Modell. They know uh, Bobbers Bobbers say, um, Mister the old man say. They don't remember all the rest of it. Yeah, those guys are forever assholes. And when it happens, the politicians will be saying, we offered up hundreds of millions of dollars. We want this team. A lot of times teams get taken away when they already do have stadium deals. And the you know, local politicians are saying, we did everything to keep this team and they still wanted to leave. And that's, I don't, the Pugulas just aren't going to move the team in the middle of the night like that. But if they did, I don't think the, you know, politicians would be there waving them goodbye at the airport they'd be trying to keep them. so i wonder if like the semi if that is just trying to put pressure on the politicians well it is they have no leverage because they're not going to move the team so they're trying right. to get they're trying they're to not going to be strong with the threat they're not very strong with the threat but putting it there to me maybe it's less of a, a because really too with the public relations part of this is interesting because as the story goes on when you zoom out, it's going to be consumed in such a surface level way by a lot of people that they might not even care that much about all that, how it's consumed. Like, oh, the Bagulas look so bad because they asked for 100% of funding. I doubt that they're too bent out of shape about that. You know, a, a fact that will get glossed over if there's a final deal in place and they get the new stadium. So maybe it's just as simple as we're going to put this out there just to make the politicians think a little bit and get them to the table and, you know, get something started to work out because, you know, to Jonah's point, like even when they put together these plans, you know, these politicians, like if the, if an owner wants to move the team, he's going to move the team. And I think, you know, I just wonder what the end game there is other than getting people, cause it's getting people riled up. And With I don't my think take, my take on it is just that, yeah, I, I think it's, we've, we got sucker punched by this story that came out in the Buffalo news and they took their time and the story festered, which is also, I think a, a miscalculation because the story just kept getting repeated and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And they didn't participate in that story. Cause do you think they really got blindsided or did they have an opportunity to correct the record and have a role in shaping that initial narrative? and decided, no, we're not going to get involved. We're not going to comment at all. I'm, I'm told that they, they, at least from, they felt blindsided. Um, But that's okay. That's, that doesn't mean that that's what happened, but they felt blindsided with it, at least in terms, they weren't ready for it. Um, They then took a long time to respond to it with the exception of just refuting a, a couple of facts by then the story's out there. You have channel two talking to this tracking down, you know, um, Brian Higgins at this event and uh, Mark Poland cars at that event. And you know, like everybody and sticking a mic in their face and I'm saying two, four and seven, not just two I'm, it's, you know, television stations. Well, what do you think about this report rather than necessarily doing their own original reporting on it? And then it just fed on itself for a long time. Um, 
I mean, Kim Pagula has her own podcast. She could have just came on and explained it all to us. That could way. have theoretically. I really feel like could that have gone was... on their own radio. Could have gone on the, either of their two shows that they have on WGR every day. Wouldn't that uh, with be their such own a, hosts? Wouldn't that be such a? Maybe I'm being naive, but wouldn't that really be a a way to quiet some of that? Like being out there as Kim and Terry Pagula saying you you don't have any intention to move the team. I understand that's not great for your leverage and you're negotiating with the state, but in good faith, just saying, you know, you really want to put the pressure on the the politicians say, you know, look, in good faith, we're going to come out and tell you we have no intention to move this team. We said it when we bought it and it's true now. We love this this community and, and these fans. Maybe that's but- a Maybe that's another component of this campaign or whatever the master plan is. But I think the, they were just, they felt they needed to counterpunch. It's kind of weird that the, nobody named Pagula has said a word about this in the whole time that it's been going. And it that's feels right. like the, the counterpunch was more for Albany than it was for anybody, or, you know, and probably some erie county politicians but well jim wilkinson did say the city of buffalo which is another misstep because buffalo has no say in this unless you're going to put the stadium downtown but byron brown has clearly been involved is he maybe he's just a consultant but they've seemed to have worked the buffalo what do you want to call it government into Look, byron brown is looking for people to write in his name on the ballot it, it, it is it is smart of him to jump on this bill's issue but it does seem like against been- a socialist in meeting candidate who's who's come out and said we don't right it's it but it, yeah it's it's false it's a false it's fake news crystal people stoke seems to know more than you know just from reading the buffalo news right well yeah, that, yeah. It, that's what she even said in one of her quotes was you know well what i was i was responding based on what i read or what i was told you know it's yeah it's you're asking people who don't know and to, to but for I just, I just thought it was another misstep that Jim Wilkinson is pinning this on the city of Buffalo, which no, it's the Erie County. So if you're going to be speaking, if you, you know, make sure you're at least speaking properly on who, who the players are here, because unless you're planning on putting the, the stadium in, in, in the city, then the city of Buffalo has no say in, in whether or not it wants to keep. No, but I, I, well, I don't know why I'm arguing this, but I think that it's been said that, the city of Buffalo is considered a stakeholder because it's the largest and central part of Erie County. And that's why Byron Brown and other city officials have been involved in the planning or the studying, the feasibility. So I think because part of that is deciding whether it goes downtown or not. And I think that's why they're involved in, you know, some of the decision-making. And Byron Brown said at a news conference, I think it was a week or so ago that, Hey, the Pagulas have decided it's not feasible. So it's going to Orchard Park. So he's already right. kind of shook Jim that Wilkinson loose. Wilkinson said the same thing multiple times on the record that they wanted across the street and they want, you know, the, um, you know, so there are, there are multiple layers to like what they're saying, why they're saying it, what the end game is and, and how they're, they're doing it all. But yeah, the city of Buffalo to me, I mean, yeah, the economy is impacted, I suppose, by whether the bills are in town. But I saw in Pro Football Talk the same thing. You know, the city of Buffalo has to, it's like, well, you know, that's what you get when you have the zoomed out view. There are the Buffalo bills, not the Orchard Park bills. But, you know, it's, 
it's really more an Erie County question and a state question. And it seems like that's who these comments are directed at. But the problem is that there is, you know, some other damage that, that happens to the psyche of some fans. Like, wait, why are they, why are they? And there's some people that bury their head in the sand and say, these aren't threats. What threats? No way. These aren't threats. And it's like, well, I, I don't exactly know what you want them to do. Like how strong do you want the threat to be? Like these are clearly veiled or otherwise, you know, th- they're a version of threats. You know, they're not. Uh, Hudson Fairburn feels threatened right now. I he can does. hear him. Evidently or excited one way or the other. He's just fired up. Who knows? It's strange to me that at least what we've seen publicly, this seems to be being negotiated like a divorce where the Pagua's, I would assume, want to build a new stadium in Orchard Park. Most of the people in Western New York want to see the Bills play in Orchard Park, whether it's a new stadium or the old stadium. The politicians seem to want to participate to some extent in building a new stadium. It's only a negotiation over who pays for what. And instead, it's all you know, negative press being put out there by both sides to make the other side look bad or make the current stadium look bad. It's all this it's souring the process when it really should be, um, you know, ways that the Pagula are getting Western Pagula family can get Western New York excited about what a new stadium could bring. And the County and the state could be finding ways to sell this to the community. And this is why the taxpayer dollars are going towards the stadium, even though maybe, you know, there, there is, you know, strong evidence that stadiums don't increase the economic value of the land that they're built on, but there are, ways and intrinsic ways and maybe by selling certain events or certain amenities that go with the stadium to get western new york excited for all right let's see what you can build build us a new football palace in orchard park i think what jonah is really saying i'm getting so used to trying to find the meaning behind what people say that now I'm, all i'm hearing from jonah is that he really wants wwe SummerSlam <laughs> to come and to it's orchard one park. of the things that i mean we were talking about this before the air, like maybe they could put an MLB baseball game in there. Maybe they can't, maybe there's MLS soccer that can't be played in the current stadium that could be played there. Maybe there's, I mean, you asked me in a recent pod about a basketball game and I don't think that can happen. I don't really see outdoor basketball games in that big of a stadium being feasible. But then I thought, well, what could you put in there? What big events do come to brand new stadiums? And sometimes it isn't just, sometimes there's concerts and events that could be had at the current stadium, but you don't really get, those without the new stadium that makes you attractive to these promoters. So I do think even if it's a waste of money in some ways or or an overspend in some ways, both sides should be selling the public on when a new stadium is here in 2025, you can also look forward to this, this, and this at the new venue. WWE SummerSlam. WWE SummerSlam would be, I mean, I do think that should happen. I think that could happen at the current stadium, but that would be the big type of event that would, I think draw a big crowd in Buffalo and Orchard Park, and break some tables in and out of the stadium. It would be great, actually, uh, cross promotion there. Um, I think it's a no brainer. I'm like, I don't even, I, I guess the pandemic has gotten away of a lot of things, but it seems to be a, a money move for WWE. And if, you know, whoever makes money off selling 50, 60,000 tickets to the stadium in August, it, well, let's put it this way it would be a much more fun event to attend than a preseason game at the stadium. You know, and what you mentioned, it's a minor point and it's just quibbling, but this, um, you know, 
kind of comparison that's been made of you wouldn't put money into a house that you don't own to shoot down. There's so many ways to shoot down the, the whole idea of renovating the stadium. Number one, probably being where the hell would they play? Um, probably the easiest one. Like any fan of the bills would say, Oh, I don't want them even for football purposes to play anywhere other than orchard park. It's such a great home field advantage. The idea of like, well, you wouldn't put money into a house that you don't own. It's, this is not a house right? Oh, you wouldn't put money into your car. You'd just buy a new car. This is not a car. Like, it's just not. Like, I use my car every day. This stadium gets used, you know, eight times a year. And it makes, it is, you know, the driving force behind what makes them a tremendous amount of money off of the bills. Like, you need a place to play with your NFL football team. And your NFL football team makes you a ton of money. A ton. So, it's Think of not, any restaurant or bar in a strip mall, Amherst Pizza and Ale House, Elmo's, you know, whatever, you name it. They rent. A lot of but, gyms rent. Right. Like, you have to pay for the equipment. You don't, the landlord doesn't, the landlord doesn't pay for your pizza ovens and your deep fryers and your bar stools and your, um, you know, the stuff also that you just, hang on the walls. You I do. just don't like the idea of, trying to compare it to something when it is a very unique thing. It is a football stadium. Like don't try to compare it to my house because it's not, it's not my house. Like it's just not, it's a completely different thing. It even, you know, it's probably a better comparison to say like a restaurant or like a gym, a place of business rents its place, spruces it up, decorates it how it wants, you know, fixes some things up and gets to conduct its business there and make money. But I just think like it is a football stadium. It is completely different. It is just, you are making so much money off of this team. You want to talk about public private partnership, who's paying the police that have to work on Sundays, who's paying, you know, the traffic cops and, you know, who's paying the repairs on the roads from all the extra traffic in and out. Like well, they, they already did put their own money into building new suites two or three years ago. So correct. They've done that. That's part of the public private partnership, right? They've, they've done it. They, you know, and yes, it's incredibly expensive to renovate the stadium. I get it. You know, you wouldn't put, but the idea of like, you wouldn't put money into a house that you don't own is just like, uh, it, it's a frustrating comparison to me because it's just, it's just not a damn house. It's just like, it, it's, it's same with the car. Like it's not a car, like a car is $30,000. So you buy a new, of course you buy a new one. It's a different calculus than a freaking billion dollar stadium. Like also the idea of like, Oh, it'd be 400. It'd just be 400 million more to build a new one. Okay. That's $400 million. What else can we do with that? Like, where can we move that around? Who could that help? That's a lot of money. The number one argument, it should stop and start with, they'd have to play somewhere else, whether it's true or not. The renovations would take too long. They would have to play somewhere else. Everybody would be on board with that, myself included. It makes sense. Like, you well, don't want you to move your operation. The stadium is falling down, and if they don't build a new stadium, you might fall off the back of the third deck. Well, the problem with that is then they're uh, talking out of the other side of their mouth, like, oh, it's totally safe. Like, well, which one is it? You know, because now if I'm going to a Bills game, I'm probably spending the extra money to sit in the uh, the 100s. How would you I'm like not to feeling pay, so good about the upper deck? Paid for the story. naming rights to this dump of a stadium. Like, that's a rough. That's a rough one. Uh, that's a rough one. Jason Wolf did a number on Highmark's branding there <laughs> when he said Highmark Stadium is a dump. 
I, hey, I respected it. He's, he called it, called it like it is, but, um, but yeah, it's, it had to be tough for, uh, for Highmark to see that. Uh, not what they had in mind when they bought, when they bought the naming rights, the Highmark dump. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap this one up. Uh, we had a, we had a good run here. Uh, we, we had a good run of topics. Uh, Dion Dawkins, uh, the Bills Bears preseason game, the stadium. We didn't even talk about Jack Eichel's emoji. It was a good emoji. Next week, much, much Maybe more. we'll have an answer by then. For Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, I am Tim Graham. This has been Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Thanks for listening. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.